Lunar New Year greetings and welcome to the Asian American and Asian Research Institute's Friday Lecture Series. I'm Anthony Wong, Program Coordinator of the Institute. Welcome everyone out uh, here in person and out there in La La Land, online on Zoom, uh, uh, for our very first talk of the spring semester. Uh, we are here, 30 inspiring Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders who have shaped the United States. Uh, here with us tonight from the center to discuss this new book are Yao Fan Yu and Andrea Kim Neighbors. Our speakers tonight, Yafen Yu is the Acting Director of the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American Center, APAC. Uh, Yafen joined APAC from the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Design Museum, where she was the Acting Deputy Director of the Curatorial and Senior Curator and Head of Product Design and Decorative Arts. Uh, full biography is available online. Uh, and as uh, for Andrea Kim Neighbors, she serves as the head of education for the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American Center. Uh, she collaborates with educators and Asian American and Pacific Islander community members and content specialists on the development of APAC's national education program. And her full bio is available online as well. Uh, please welcome Yao Feng Yu and Andrea Kim Neighbors. Thank you also for the invitation to come speak to the Asian American Asian Research Institute here at CUNY. Um, it's a wonderful way to kick off the, um, the Lunar New Year. And um, um, we kind of imagine this as being a conversation. And in fact, uh, when I started last February, I remember that this was one of, you know, I uh, when I took over, I learned about this project I was really super super excited about it and so and since I wasn't really involved in the creation and the shaping of it I thought it would help for me to sort of act as an audience member and ask Andrea how the book came to be so that's how we will structure this uh, evening and I also do want to say that this is the first book that the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American Center has put out so we're super super excited about it um, and it is uh, it was a collaboration with the Smithsonian Press that was spearheaded by Andrea as well as Hayaloha Johnston who was then the curator of Asian Pacific American Women's Cultural History and now director of cultural resources and cult curator for Hawaii and Pacific Arts and Culture at the uh, Bishop Museum in Honolulu. So we'll just get started. Andrea, the book came together in 2021 during a very difficult time for our communities. It remains difficult, obviously. Um, can you talk to us more about the process? Yes. Um, hi, everyone. And first, before I answer the question, thank you to the Asian American Asian Research Institute for, hold, uh, for hosting us and having us to um, talk more about this book. This book is very much a labor of love. It was a passion project. It came, of course, at um, a very difficult time, um, and we continue to be in very difficult times. Um, we at the Asian Pacific American Center were approached by uh, a wonderful colleague, Joel Corcoran, uh, at Smithsonian Licensing and Books, who wrote to us. It was soon after the Atlanta shootings. Um, and said, um, you know, we're hearing from publishers who are very interested in working with you and possibly doing a middle-grade anthology to bring uh, Asian-American and Pacific Islander stories to young readers, middle-grade readers uh, across the country, and we think now is a really critical time to get these stories out. 
Um, and at, at first it felt, I, I think I felt more of the heaviness of that responsibility. How are we going to do this book well um, and do it with care and also do it with intention um, and also doing it in a way that I think I hope authentically celebrates joy and lived experience, lived experience with all of its ups and downs, all of its, you know, um, struggles, but also its joys. How can we do that really well? And so I'm an overthinker. So all these thoughts were kind of rushing through my head, but I said, we we have to do this. Um, Our colleagues across the Smithsonian, um, my dear friends at the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Latino, formerly the Smithsonian Latino Center, had just published a fabulous book, Nuestra America, 30 um, Latinos and Latinas Who Shaped the U.S. And um, it was really great to see the, the, the joy that the team put into that book, um, and learning more about Latino, Latino stories and bringing it to young readers and in talking with my colleagues there and thinking about how we at the, at the APA Center could also do this. It was like, without question, we have to do this. Um, so we soon entered a lot of conversations with um, our partners, Smithsonian Books and Running Press Kids. Uh, they have been incredible partners and, and friends through this whole process. But most importantly, too, we had critical conversations on our team. Um, this what. As, as much as we could, um, you know, moving the project forward, it, it started with a full team conversation. Um, what will be the purpose of this book? What do we want to put into this book? Who do we want to highlight? All of these questions. So the first thing we did when we understood the timeline and all of the parameters of putting a book together, I learned a lot in that process. It's really fascinating. Um, we The first thing we did was we said we want to make sure that um, we don't kind of emphasize a contribution model for any of the people that we we select. Um, and we also want to talk about people that you may not expect to find in a book like this. Um, there, are, there are similar books like this on the market, and I will say it's wonderful to see so many similar titles and so many books for young readers, picture books, young adult novel, uh, young adult, um, you know, books uh, that center Asian American uh, protagonists and by Asian American writers and illustrators. Um, but who do we want to highlight uh, that's meant a lot to us? Um, you know, who are going to be some of the surprises and how can we make this truly a book that features Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders? So we made some very easy, quick decisions. Um, we have 30. We're going to have 15 of the profiles focus on Asian Americans, 15 focus on Pacific Islanders. And from there, we're going to have to do the really hard work of figuring out which ethnic um, gender identities we want to bring in, even when it comes to religious representation, um, ability, work, um, ways in which these people have uplifted their communities. Um, we, we knew that. Um, we we kind of had some people in mind, and we also knew we wanted to have a nice balance of ensuring that every story told a story of global interconnectedness, that any person isn't just being written about and talked about within sort of the borders of the United States or the borders within a certain um, city or state, that we can tell a story that is quite global. We can talk about the many cultural influences that would have shaped a person or the, the, the places from around the world that have shaped who they are to show that our stories are not always so tied to this place. We, we don't just come here. We, um, we mobilize around the world, and there are many parts of the world that have shaped us. So anyway, we put together, we, we opened up Excel. We threw down maybe close to 200 names. Um, we had colleagues from different units um, join in that list. 
Um, we, <laughs> we just sort of like, who do we know? <laughs> and we would, you know, sometimes have to do some internet research. Um, we thought about who we know in our communities who never get the spotlight. We thought about elders who have done tremendous things for their communities and maybe have things in archives, but nothing's digitized but deserve the spotlight. So we had this really major list, and then we had to whittle it down. This is not, this is not 200 inspiring Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, although that book would be amazing. Um, we, we had to have some conversations with our publishers. Our publisher said, for a book like this, let's think about entrepreneurs, artists, entertainers, athletes. And we're like, okay, we'll go there. We know we want to do 15 and 15. And then we just had to really make those really painful decisions about who to include and then who not to, you know, who we can save on a list for hopefully another publication in the future. Um, so you can see some, th these are just three people who are in the book. Um, on the left here, we have Kathy Jetnell Kitchener, who is phenomenal. I've had the great privilege of working with her on a project before. She has worked with um, many folks at the APA Center. Um, Kathy is a Marshallese poet, global um, uh, global uh, climate change activist. Um, she has spoken at the UN. Um, she is a poet, a writer, a mother, uh, active community member. Um, um, and we definitely, absolutely wanted her um, in this book. In the middle here with the blue background is Lydia Exe Brown. Lydia's an amazing disability justice advocate. Uh, lives in the D.C. area, does wonderful workshops. Um, I, we have some poster sets in association with the book. Um, and for those of you who are tuning in online, hopefully we'll, we'll figure out a way to reach you to make sure you get a set of them. But um, included in that, um, in, in that guide are some of Lydia's own uh, prompts on how to have facilitated conversations about disability um, and thinking critically about ability um, in the ways in which we engage with each other um, and, and think about how we move in the world. And then on the right, um, someone you may, someone who may look very familiar is Naomi Osaka, tennis star, um, soon to be a mother, which is really exciting. Also a mental health advocate um, and, uh, and, and also a social justice activist. Um, amazing story. Um, so it's a, it, I know I'm, it's a long answer to your question, <laughs> but um, it, it was very difficult. But I, I, I'm very proud of the list, um, the, the 30 who are featured in the book, and I know that you know, with, with projects like this, I'm sure you run into this with like curating and collecting. It's hard to represent everybody. And, you know, we have that message very clear at the very beginning of the book. Uh, this is not an encyclopedic book, um, but we hope that the little bit that you'll learn about everyone hopefully inspires you to learn more about them, their communities, and then learning more about other people um, who inspired them and inspired us. Thank you. And, um, so how long did it take you to get down from the 200 to the 30? Because I know timelines, uh, <laughs> deadlines and timelines. I think it took us, if any of my colleagues are, are watching on Zoom, <laughs> I'm a little fuzzy. It, it, it was a quick turnaround. I think we had maybe a month. Wow. Okay. That's maybe. That's, that's, that's <laughs> incredible. I mean, checklists to get down. I mean, we take building out an exhibition takes about a full you know, you know, at least six months to a year, but, you know, kind of, but then you start to think about space considerations, obviously. So here, um, and obviously the 30, at least that was predetermined by the, by the, by the Latino Center book. Um, 
was it important to you in terms of having um, historical figures, like the proportion of historical figures to contemporary figures? Yes, absolutely. And for the historical figures, um, we wanted to... There are some important historical figures that we wanted to introduce to mm-hmm. young people. Um, we have Grace Lee Boggs. Grace Lee Boggs is an icon, um, someone who uh, we look up to um, in so many different ways. So Grace Lee Boggs is in, in the book. Um, we have a historical figure, um, Chan Chung Wu, a physicist um, who made great, um, you know, innovations in physics and, and in science. Um, I don't think she's talked about enough. Exactly, and she actually just had a stamp. Right. Stamp set mm-hmm. made last year, I think, was released, mm-hmm. and I saw that at the. I was very excited. Absolutely, and you know, we also have um, some history makers. I think, in looking at this image here, on uh, my right, um, there's uh, Calvin Ho, or who um, I've gotten to know as Uncle Calvin. Um, he is an amazing elder who um, has he creates um, musical mm-hmm. instruments. Uh, that were done, I think, in pre, pre-contact, pre-occupation times in Hawaii. He's an educator, uh, you know, really has done his life's work with um, him and his wife, uh, Charlene Ho, um, who you see in, in the book cover here. They've done so much to uplift their community, and they are regarded uh, by so many. In the middle, you see Momi Cosimero. Uh, Momi's nearly 90, I think. Um, and she uh, created the first woman-owned graphic design house in Hawaii and has done and has so many has so many touches around Honolulu. If you were to go to Honolulu, you would see her designs everywhere um, and, you know, has uh, great impacts um, across across the kingdom. And on the left, you see Greg Santos Perez, amazing uh, Chamorro poet. Um, other historical figures in the book, um, one of my favorite profiles is uh, a profile of John Newbel, who um, is a mixed-race Samoan uh, white uh, writer. He was a playwright. He wrote um, the teleplays, screenplays for many popular shows in the 1960s, 70s. I think he, I mean, I should have had the whole, I should have the whole book memorized by this point. <laughs> but many popular shows um, at the time uh, he was a writer on, and he's just someone I would never have known about. Um, but he was behind the scenes in Hollywood, um, shaping a lot of popular culture. And um, also, bringing um, playwriting and the act and skill of playwriting to uh, Hawaii and Samoa in the Pacific. So, amazing. Thank you. And uh, this picture when it, well, this picture was actually taken from our book launch in Honolulu. And so, we, um, you know, we, the importance of having, so, having it 50%, Asian American 50%, Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander, it felt really important to, um, and also that our reach includes the Pacific that we um, decided to, ha- to have a book launch in Honolulu that Eliza White here in the audience um, helped organize. It was instrumental in spearheading. So, and I think it was also just really wonderful to meet some of the uh, people profiled in person and have them speak. So that's a little bit more about this image. But um, Andrea, do you want to tell us why is it called We Are Here? How did you arrive at this title? Title was the hardest part. I'm horrible at titles. <laughs> when I think back to my grad my grad school days, a title was the last thing on my thesis, and it was like pulling my hair out. It just it, I, I think they're so difficult because they mean so much. And really, when you look at our title, um, the "We Are Here" part was the hardest part. The thirty inspiring so and so that was sort of like the standard subtitle that was a part of it. But we we thought about you know what would 
what would show a reader? What would stick out to a reader? What is something that would would kind of signal to someone who knows where this where this title perhaps comes from? We've probably heard the phrase, we are here because you were there. Um, it's a phrase that's uh, used um, you know, quite a bit in talking about migration, imperialism, occupation. Um, I, I actually had a really interesting conversation about the title with my own parents. My mother's from South Korea, my father's white, and he was in the military, and I said that phrase, and he had never heard it before. And I, I looked at him and was like, well, we are here because you were there. You know, and we had a really interesting conversation about our own family history. And I know that phrase can mean something very different in different contexts. Um, but in shortening, it's just we are here. It's a common phrase. We see it you know, in, in other ways. Um, our publishers really thought it stood out and it kind of made a statement that we are here, but we have been here. Something Rohan and I were talking about. It's like, yes, we have been here for a very long time. <laughs> Welcome to the conversation. <laughs> and uh, we thought that was um, going to stand out. But it, w if you see the book, you'll see a great forward, beautifully written by Dr. Theodore Gonzalez, um, kind of touches more on that phrase and what it means and actually references um, poets and you know histories that kind of illustrate further the importance of that phrase we are here yeah and also we want to really give a shout out to um dr gonzalez for shepherding that yes. book mm -hmm. during the pandemic so um and i guess the final question on my end is you know what do you hope readers get out of it um you know what resources are available for our, uh, educators who want to incorporate it in the curriculum today we had a really um just really exciting energizing meeting with the new york city um, education department and they showed us some great resources that they've been producing. So, um, and I, you know, I think there's understanding that the landscape of education is changing. Mm -hmm. For instance, there's a real interest in um, use of illustrations, and obviously the illustrations are huge for this book. Um, interested in um, uh, sort of graphic novels, comics. So, so I would love to hear your thoughts about mm -hmm. about that. And, and I know you've you've done some things in, in around the book. Yes. I think the visual aspect of the book, you know, the, the book is beautifully written by Naomi Hirahara, illustrated by Illy Fernandez. Um, Illy has an amazing Instagram account. Um, Illy's work is fabulous. Um, the, the visuals were really important to us. The use of color, uh, even in the selection of images to reference how we would hope to see the individuals depicted. Um, that was actually a really fun process, working with Haloha and others to edit the smiles, um, the angles, um, even the accessories. Um, it, it was really interesting to think about the symbolism and how we have seen folks best present themselves. For example, the image of Naomi Osaka, we, we did see some really beautiful versions where she's smiling, showing her teeth. And um, when we were looking at images of Naomi, we realized she's usually not depicted showing her teeth when she smiles. And one of the central stories in her profile is the story of her wearing the face masks that have the names of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd on them. And we wanted to highlight her activism. And so we thought maybe a smile in, you know, kind of very confident, but also kind of mysterious would, would show, would kind of um, illustrate that story further. So Illy was a wonderful partner in this and did a beautiful job. But what we hope readers get out of this book is to hopefully get enough information to want to do their own, to, to dive in deeper on their own. You know, my hope is if a young reader, an educator, anyone who's interested reads Kathy's story, 
they learned something new that they didn't know before about the Marshall Islands. Um, I didn't learn anything about the Marshall Islands in school. And if I did learn something about, about the Marshall Islands, usually it's in the context of war, World War II, atomic bomb testing. What about the people on the Marshall Islands? And so um, I, I hope that in reading Kathy's story, you want to learn more about her, her history, the history of this place that is so, it, it's home, but it's so much more than home. It's ancestry. Um, hopefully it's enough to want you to kind of take those steps further for any of these profiles. Something I mentioned earlier about global interconnectedness, we really hope that re readers take away um, the kind of expansive nature of everyone's story and also think more about their own um, histories and connections to the world. Um, we also hope that readers, um, you know, know these names. Uh, they know these names in the context of social justice. They know these con these names in context of who in the world is doing uh, climate change activism, making changes, positive changes in the world. Um, but also folks we can think kind of critically about in a very productive way. Uh, there's a profile of Bruno Mars, um, and we have a digital resource about Bruno Mars's um, past critiques of cultural appropriation. And that presents a really interesting conversation. How do we think about that? How do we think about negotiating that? in terms of our own, how we've been influenced over the years by different cultures in our world. Um, so we, we hope it also engages in those kinds of conversations. Um, in the book, at the end, there is a resource guide that I wrote with um, Haloha Johnston. We really encourage reflection. We really encourage time to think about an individual story that really stuck out to you. And if you could have a conversation with that person or combination of people, what would you want them to know about you? So it's sort of building that relationship between the reader and the stories that they're learning. Um, but we also ask readers to think about what would you want to tell your, your, your family, your caregivers, your peers about what you're learning. Um, you know, if you could have a meal with any of these folks, what would you make for them and why? What would you want to talk about? So we try to bring the reader into it as much as possible. Um, those questions are at the end of the book. There's also a QR code. Um, our best friend of the pandemic, you know, we use the QR codes for everything now. If you use the QR code, it'll take you to a set of digital learning um, uh, activities, really, for every individual figure. There's a great platform that the Smithsonian has created called the Learning Lab. It's free, um, learninglab.si.edu. Um, that's incredible, because <laughs> that's a great resource. It's a way that you can make a digital exhibition, essentially. You're kind of curating a digital resource. And um, we worked with an amazing uh, librarian and educator, Julie Haas, who created um, customized um, uh, learning labs about every individual. So you can watch, you can go to that and use um, Harvard Project Zero inquiry thinking routines and watching a video of Naomi Osaka um, looking at a high-res image of an object related to someone in the book. Um, there are ways you can kind of interact more and, and have more visuals um, to learn more about the story. Um, we also have a great poster series. Um, I have some here with me tonight. Um, the poster series is focused on these three individuals. Um, it was a great collaboration with um, my colleague Ashley Corrin at the National Portrait Gallery and American Women's History Initiative. Um, they are full images of these amazing people, but also includes portrait analysis techniques, um, uh, keywords, vocabulary to guide conversations around the stories. Um, yeah, there's so much. I know, I know, and I'm sure... I have more questions, but I, I'm sure people here in the audience also have many questions. So I'm going to pause here and um, and thank you for that lovely introduction. And 
to open the uh, floor to the audience for their questions. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a great question. Do we have it? Amazon? It's, it's available on Amazon. Um, you can also go to um, Hachette's. Um, yeah. <laughs> Barnes & Noble, I think, is carrying them. I think Target as well. You and Me Books... You know, I'm going to go visit them tomorrow <laughs> and just get to know them. Um, if you want to look through the book, we have uh, we brought two copies back here with us. Um, but you can go online. If you just Google the title, um, you'll see you'll see it come up. And I w- it would be great. It would be great if you buy a copy of the book. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I have so many questions, but I'll try to narrow them down to maybe two. So, um, so I mean, one question is. Um, just about the process of creating the educational tools. Um, I'm writing a dissertation now on Gracely Boggs, and part of it is I really want to make educational tools. Um, and so I'd love to hear more about like the process of doing that, mm-hmm. how you decided you know, to distill all that information into conversational prompts, especially like whether or not, I don't know if the tools are for most in middle school or if it's you know, broken up into like four different age groups of what considerations there were there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'll just start with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I wonder if there's a way, if I could, is it, can I pull something up on, on the computer? Uh, yeah. Okay. Just click escape and then you can go to Okay. So, um, I know I'm afraid to... It's a great question, Lily, because... Mm-hmm. Andrea <laughs> is a Andrea is a master at conversation prompts, and um, she's we uh, collaborated with Helen Zia and the you know the recent legacy guide that came out about Vincent Chen. So we provided those the the conversation um, starters, mm-hmm. right? So or sort of what, what were they called? What was the phrase? Just it was, conversation questions. Yeah, conversation questions. Yeah, discussion questions. Yeah. So the um, the nice thing about this learning lab, I'm, I'm giving everyone a, um, a tour of it right now, is um, it's free. Um, but the nice thing about it is you can make it interactive. You can customize it for different grade levels, uh, different topics, um, and you can connect to Smithsonian um, objects. But you can also uh, connect your own. Let me see. I'm going to pull up Grace Lee Boggs. So for the Learning Lab collections we created around the individuals in the book, we used the text in the book to kind of guide what else we wanted um, visitors to this to to engage with. Um, Because the thing about the book is it's a beautiful portrait and it's text. Um, As you're learning about Grace Lee Boggs for the first time, the text may not be enough to kind of visualize the story. Um, and to kind of understand how to access the other references that are going to be showing up in the in, in there. So when you um, use that QR code and you see this, um, you can see it, it, at first it's it might be kind of overwhelming. It's a lot of tiles, but the intention is that you start with the Get Started and you move your way down and then kind of move your way uh, left to right, top down. Um, but we wanted to organize all of these labs by what seems like major themes, but also really exciting opportunities to engage with Grace Lee Box's story a bit more. Um, so we wanted to provide um, access to resources that are already on the internet, videos, uh, documentaries, articles, where a middle grade reader or a middle grade educator or someone older would say, I don't know anything about Grace Lee Boggs. And so this profile, the way it's written, it may not mean a whole lot to me, but 
I understand, um, you know, some histories mentioned in about the civil rights movement and civil rights in general. So going here just kind of expands the story um, and um, sort of enlivens the text uh, where you get to hear Grace Lee Boggs and watch videos where other people are talking about her importance. Um, and there are also some um, resources that expand this moment in time uh, that we, we know about Grace Lee Boggs, um, images, uh, objects in the Smithsonian's collection that um, are, related, are related to this time. Um, yeah, and so for this, the nice thing about this is um, it's easily customizable. Everything's really intended for the audience of the book, which is middle grade readers. Um, but, you know, I, I mostly buy and read young adult novels and picture books. And so I know that there are folks older than middle grade readers who are probably going to be reading this and using this. Um, but we really want this to be um, an, an additional resource that can spark a conversation. And so the hope is that it's students and their peers, it's families, it's multi-generational audiences looking at this together. Uh, we, The tough thing about this, and I, I don't, I hope that we were successful in it, is to make it um, accessible for students and um, folks who are older, but then also together as well. Question is, you mentioned earlier that when you were conceptualizing the, this book, uh, you started off or came up with a list of about 200 uh, folks, and then from there had the really unenviable uh, task mm -hmm. of, of bringing it down to 30. Can you share a bit more about how you developed the list of 200, and then how, what was the process like to go from 200 to 30? A painful one. Um, I remember um, Hailoha, my my colleague who's now um, at the Bishop Museum in, in Hawaii, we were staring at this list and staring and staring and staring. And, you know, we were looking at the Asian American folks mentioned. We would say, well, you know, we want to make sure we have as best as possible representation of East Asian, Southeast Asian, um, South Asian, West Asian. Um, Central Asian was a little more challenging um, having this representation there. And then from there, we want to look at gender representation. Um, and we also wanted to consider um, mixed race individuals, um, folks who have different religious backgrounds. And different, we wanted to try and have as much of an interfaith representation as well, um, but also in terms of what people have done uh, what people do for a living, since we learned that these sort of industry-like categories are really good for these books. Um, it's hard, you know, and um, when, I, when I look at this, um, you know, the, the one thing that stands out to me is our, our South Asian representation is very um, heavy in Indian American uh, representation. Uh, we have amazing stories here. We have Lakshmi Singh. We have Vishwajit. Uh, Vishwajit, who's a Sikh American, and we have Tenmori Sundarajan, who's incredible. Um, and you know, we 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 knew that there there are necessary and critical steps for us to think about South Asian representation in in many other ways, and we hope that those are really good opportunities moving forward. Um, so we 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 wanted to really get that balance of everything. Um, and you know, when I look at this, I still see a lot of imperfections, of course, a lot of opportunities. Um, but it was really a lot of talking with our colleagues, talking with other curators, um, doing research mostly on the internet to say who has who already shows up in a lot of books that are out there. You know, um, someone had asked me why we don't have like Anime Wong or Daniel Inway, and we they're important people, but um, not to say like we. 
they don't need the spotlight. They do, but we want to we want to showcase like Lydia X C Brown, um, you know, who um, we want to um, you know make sure people know who Lydia is. Um, yeah, it, it's. I, I know I'm kind of jumbling the answer, but we really had to take into consideration a lot of these balances. Um, you know, we also had in the production of the book once. Once the profiles were confirmed, we also had to keep updating the text. Unfortunately, while we're in production of this book, Etal Adnan passed away. And so um, we had to change the dates um, of her profile. And then it, we had to do a very, um, a very sad process of editing in past tense, um, making sure that we were uh, framing the, um, the text differently for the author um, to think about how we want to complete that profile in a way that remembers her legacy as an artist and a writer. So it was, um, for a while it was a living project. And then there's a, that hard time where it, it has to go off in printer mode. And then you just, you know, things change and then you have to kind of go from there. Yeah. And then you grieve the loss. Yes. Yes. That was a great question. The other day we were talking, uh, one of my colleagues, um, she's trying to come up with a, uh, exhibition checklist and she has so many stories in her head she's been living with so many of these stories and then we said no no we just need three and we were talking to someone who had the, that same I guess similar experience and so her first question to this other colleague was like what stories did you cut and like how hard was it mm -hmm. you know like and so it's just it is it's um especially when you like have these things in your mind and you want them all but mm -hmm. in this case Yes, you were. I mean, also wanting to show that just the incredible range. Mm -hmm. I will say one thing that showing the range and having enough information, enough research to support the range. Some of these, uh, some of these folks we're looking at here. There's not a lot of information available about them online, but through community storytelling and I think through community regard and reverence, we know that these individuals are important. But for the author and the publisher, they need the context they need the resources so we ended it's it's interesting our publishers had first said don't go to wikipedia we had to go to wikipedia for a lot of things mm -hmm. um and we are very lucky at the smithsonian we have two incredible uh wikipedia experts on staff kelly doyle andrew lee who um are you know their work is to have wikipedia seen as a reputable resource for educators um and understanding how wikipedia is regarded um, and questioned at times. Um, we've had, we have a great partnership with them. We've done several wiki edit-a-thons with them to actually create Wikipedia pages about some of these folks like Lakshmi Singh. Uh, and Vishwajit Singh now has a Wikipedia page through these efforts. Um, but in talking with them, we talk about the ongoing challenge of just not knowing um, much about them. And so in many ways, Wikipedia became the only option for us. Uh, for John Newbel, um, one of my favorites, uh, you can learn more about John Newbel now on Wikipedia, um, but this uh, his profile was actually quite difficult because there are just a handful of archival materials we could turn the author to to develop, uh, to develop this resource. And so my hope is that these learning lab collections in this book perhaps adds more information about these individuals out um, into the world, but um, it was a challenge. Uh, Lakshmi Singh, 
Uh, her profile was very challenging. Actually, Haloha and I wrote to NPR several times just asking for some kind of confirmation for birth year, some other facts. Um, and uh, NPR, they're busy folks. We, we never heard back from them. But um, her profile was very difficult because um, there's not a lot about her. Um, you know, and I was talking with Julie and Haloha, and we're like, you know, I bet she's just a very private person and has done a very good job making sure there's not a lot of private information about her, um, as my guess. But um, it was it was very challenging. Although it was fun to see like these Conan O'Brien bits about. Um, I guess there's like a cult following of Lakshmi Singh. So we we kind of got to see a really surprising side of her, where she. Um, there, yeah, there, there, she, there, there's some surprising things on the internet about her in particular, um, but very difficult. So, yeah, right. I mean, you had someone whose voice is so like it's so. Right. Um, what's the word I'm thinking? It's just it's part of your weekend, like listening to mm-hmm. like the weekend. It's like her name. It's like it's so prevalent, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yet, and I think, and I don't know. That's something that um, do we know? Kind of the ways in which. Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islanders are are underrepresented mm-hmm. in Wikipedia. Oh yes, there's um, wide underrepresentation of um, AA and NHPI stories on Wikipedia, especially with women. Um, we actually have a learning lab about that, right. <laughs> about the issues of representation, um, and there are some interesting politics behind it, actually. Um, and so, if anyone's ever interested in learning more about how to edit and become become an editor in in a Wikipedia uh, creator yourself, um, there uh, trying to get it for you data. Um, of course, um, and the lack of it, the lack of images, the lack of information, really uh, obviously just contributes to the invisibility of AANHPI stories um, on the Internet. Um, Wikipedia is directly connected to Alexa. Um, you know, Google searches, Wikipedia are some of the first things that come up. Um, there are several efforts. In fact, if you would like to join a wiki edit-a-thon, we're having one uh, February 16th in partnership with Densho, uh, the Japanese American Legacy Project, uh, to highlight the stories of Japanese American women uh, on Wikipedia. So there, there are interesting global efforts to increase this representation. Here we have um, a learning lab about what Wikipedia is, what are the standards um, in editing and creating, um, what are some of the open access and copyright laws, Creative Commons versus public domain, um, and then uh, statistics on gender, um, ethnic representation gaps on Wikipedia. When we were in Hawaii for our event, uh, we did a wiki edit-a-thon before the event, and Momi Casamero, who's in the book, actually attended. Um, That was one of my favorite experiences because, you know, we're all here with our laptops. We're ready to edit. Momi printed her whole CV on paper. And we sat next to each other and, and we did research on what's online that we can connect to and, and worked on improving her uh, Wikipedia page. So it was very interesting to have a real-life person watching us create a Wikipedia page about her in lifetime and giving direct feedback on what was wrong, what was right, where we need to improve our work. So it was very good. Yeah. Now, first of all, congratulations on your book. Thank uh, you. As you're talking about Wikipedia, something comes to me that Chat GPT is the next Wikipedia, right? Have you heard about Chat GPT? It's going to be a single source of information. We will do dominate internet. Maybe not soon. Maybe after two years or five years, it will become a new Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to see how this content. 
I know. Information aggregator. I know. I haven't dove into that very much yet. I've mostly seen tweets kind of <laughs> calling it out and I'm ready to take but a deeper really dive. Interesting because the way chat GPT works, again, I'm not here for chat GPT, but <laughs> you ask a question and then it follows you through the conversation. Ah. I, mean, I can see the way the Smithsonian lab is done can become very, if it gets integrated into that one, then it may provide some of lot of information about the entire flow. Interesting, huh? You know, I, I will have to ask, um, there, we have a great central education office at the Smithsonian, and we have the, within that office, there's an office of education technology. They manage and run the learning lab. They're great, brilliant. Um, I'll have to ask them what their, what the conversation is about that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. And one more question. Did you have to get, uh, interview this profiles in person? Did you manage to get it? Good question. Yes. <laughs> so this was an interesting part of the process. Um, so we learned that it's it's quite common practice where if there's a, a book in production that's biographies of public figures, um, there's a there's a practice of not going to them and showing them drafts of what's being written, and so we relied on what's out there about these public uh, figures. Um, some of these folks we know personally, uh, we have great working relationships with, and there are folks that we don't know. Um, I wish I knew Keanu Reeves, but unfortunately, <laughs> I have no connection whatsoever. Um, but he got a copy of the book. I hope he likes it. <laughs> um, and so we had to kind of use what was actively out there. Um, and that was that was challenging. Um, luckily, we have many brilliant team members who have, um, you know, really great personal relationships with these artists, like with Kathy um, and with others um, that when they were editing drafts, they, they kind of knew enough about how to get the nuance right in talking about them. Um, you know, we, we, there are also times where honestly we didn't get it right, you know, and so that's, that's a lesson learned for us, uh, in this process, um, that, um, was really kind of eye opening in the publishing world, um, where perhaps what's on the internet and what, the research we, we had available to us um, presented new questions of where we can improve in our research, but also where we can improve in thinking about gaps at the Smithsonian broadly, um, collections and programs and educational efforts. And so um, through those missteps, I think we have a lot of opportunities for improvement. Um, but no, we, we couldn't sit down with someone and interview them. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, Naomi Hirahara, our, our, our um, author, she's an amazing crime novelist. Um, lovely, like incredible writer. It's, it was really huge to have her working on this. Um, you know, she did a great job and, and did a lot of research on her own. Um, but it, you know, I think that's also a challenge going back to the topic of disrepresentation. Um, you know, the Smithsonian is building up its AANHPI representation and collections and exhibitions. Um, you know, that's part, the big part of the work we do at the APA center. Um, and it's exciting. There are great opportunities to increase that. Um, and so I think if anything, um, what we now know about this process of putting a project like that, um, you know, we, we know more about the field of publishing and what we can and cannot do. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm kind of talking around some things. Well, we can I talk mean, about, like, <laughs> I, think I mean, I think what you're also getting at the, the paucity of, of, of oh, totally. information, mm -hmm. right? Because I remember, you know, the difficulty about Lakshmi Singh was that you actually couldn't find out what her birth year was, right? Mm -hmm. You couldn't, and yeah. which was a bit shocking. Mm -hmm. 
because you often can. You can like find out what someone like you know, without revealing all my Google like interest. But in terms of you know, you can find you can often find out like when they you know finish high school, college. Right there's like alumni newsletters, also things. And I remember I was helping her with this, and I was also kind of shocked. Mm-hmm. How with someone so con- like contemporary, you couldn't right. actually ascertain that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even though you do want to respect someone's privacy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at um, this one, Eddie Aikau. Um, I didn't know this, but um, my partner, one of my partners on this book, Hey Aloha, you know, said, um, in, in thinking about relationships and relationship building and, you know, how that's so core to um, a, a lot of the work that we do at the center and the work that we do um, and always improve, aim to improve in doing at the Smithsonian is, um, you know, keeping these relationships um, forever and ongoing in, in hopefully meaningful ways. Um, in my conversations with Hey Aloha, she said, you know, the story of Eddie Aikau is one to take in very carefully because uh, he died very young um, and he was never found, um, died at sea. Um, and in many ways, his story is kind of overshadowed by the story of Duke Kahanamoku, who was a famous, very well-known Native Hawaiian professional surfer. Um, but the Eddie Aikau family is still very active. And so if we can have, you know, um, treat his story right with dignity and you know, doing it with the right framing and balance and honor, you know, that could be uh, hopefully a way to, um, you know, build a relationship with a family that has carried on a legacy and are very active and important in the community right now. So, you know, this book, these stories, um, for us, it's a very delicate responsibility mm-hmm. to um, carry through in the stories that we want to introduce readers to, but also, you know, stories and relationships we have to cultivate beyond as well yeah and that's ongoing and so again um thank you for joining us and thank you for your support yeah thank you all Uh, thank you to yalfen and andrea again for a wonderful presentation Uh, once again you can purchase we are here online from the hatchet uh, book group website for 17 dollars and 99 cents uh the link is available on their talk web page and uh, with that uh have a good evening Remember to be an upstander if you see a fellow person in need, and have a good weekend.